Chapter 19 of The Lone Wolf. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Tomko. The Lone Wolf by Louis Joseph Vance. Chapter 19 Unmasked. When there was no more light in the sky, a profound sigh escaped Lanyard's lips, and with the gesture of one signifying submission to an omen, he turned and tramped heavily back across town. More automaton than sentient being, he plodded on along the second enceinte of flaring, noisy boulevards, now and again narrowly escaping annihilation beneath the wheels of some coursing motor-cab or ponderous grinding omnibus. Barely conscious of such escapes, he was altogether indifferent to them. It would have required a mortal hurt to match the dumb, sick anguish of his soul, more than merely a sunset sky had turned black for him within that hour. The cold was now intense, and he none too warmly clothed, yet there was sweat upon his brows. Dully there recurred to him a figure he had employed in one of his talks with Lucy Shannon, that lacking his faith in her, there would be only emptiness beneath his feet. And now that faith was wanting in him, had been taken from him for all his struggles, to retain it. And now, indeed, he danced on emptiness, the rope of temptation tightening around his neck, the weight of criminal instincts pulling it taut, strangling every right aspiration in him, robbing him of the very breath of that new life to which he had thought to give himself if she were not worthy of what worth the fight at one stage of his journey he turned aside and more through habit than desire or design entered a cheap eating-place and consumed his customary evening meal without the slightest comprehension of what he ate or whether the food were good or poor when he had finished he hurried away like a haunted man there was little room in his mood for sustained thought his wits were fathoming a bottomless pit of black despair he felt like a man born blind through skilful surgery given the boon of sight for a day or two and suddenly and without any warning thrust back again into darkness he knew only that his brief struggle had been all wasted that behind the flimsy barrier of his honourable ambition the lone wolf was ravening and he felt that once he permitted that barrier to be broken down, it could never be repaired. He had set it up by main strength of will, for love of a woman. He must maintain it now for no incentive other than to retain his own good will, or resign himself utterly to that darkness out of which he had fought his way, to its powers that now beset his soul. And he didn't care. Quite without purpose he sought the machine shop where he had left his car. He had no plans, but it was in his mind a murderous thought that before another dawn he might encounter Bannon. Interim he would go to work. He could think out his problem while driving as readily as in seclusion. Whatever he might ultimately elect to do, he could accomplish little before midnight. Toward seven o'clock, with his machine in perfect running order, he took the seat and to the streets in a reckless humor, in the tempest of a beast of prey. The barrier was down. Once more the lone wolf was on the prowl. But for the present he controlled himself and acted perfectly his temporary role of taxi-bandit, 
fellow to those thousands who infest Paris. Half a dozen times in the course of the next three hours, people hailed him from sidewalks and restaurants. He took them up, carried them to their several destinations, received payment, and acknowledged their gratuities with perfunctory thanks, thoroughly in character, but all with little conscious thought. He saw but one thing, the face of Lucy Shannon, white, tense, glimmering wanly in shadow, the countenance with which she had dismissed him. He had but one thought, the wish to read the riddle of her bondage. To accomplish this, he was prepared to go to any extreme. If Bannon and his crew came between him and his purpose, so much the worse for them, and, incidentally, so much the better for society. What might befall himself was of no moment. He entertained but one design, to become again what he had been, the supreme adventurer, the prince of plunderers, to lose himself once there in the delirium of adventurous days and peril-haunted nights, to reincarnate the lone wolf and in his guise loot the world anew, to court forgetfulness even at the prison's gates. It was after ten when, cruising purposelessly, without a fare, he swung through the Rue Aubert into the Place de la Opera, and, approaching the Café de la Paix, was hailed by a doorboy of that restaurant. Drawing in to the curb, with the careless address that had distinguished his every action of that evening, he waited, with a throbbing motor, and with mind detached and gaze remote from the streams of foot and wheeled traffic that brawled past on either hand. After a moment, two men issued from the revolving door of the café, and approached the cab. Lanyard paid them no attention. His thoughts were now engaged with a certain hotel particulier in the neighborhood of La Mouette, and, in his preoccupation, he would need only the name of a destination and the sound of the cab door slammed to send him off like a shot. Then he heard one of the men cough heavily, and in a twinkling stiffened to rigidity in his seat. If he had heard that cough but once before, that once had been too often. Without a glance aside, hardening his features to perfect immobility, he knew that the cough was shaking the slighter of those two figures. And of a sudden he was acutely conscious of the clearness of the frosty atmosphere, of the merciless glare of the electricity beating upon him from every side, from the numberless street lamps and café lights, and poignantly he regretted neglecting to mask himself with his goggles. He wasn't left long in suspense. The coughing died away by spasms, followed by unmistakable, sonorous accents of Bannon. "'Well, my dear boy, I have to thank you for an excellent dinner and a most interesting evening. Pity to break it up so early. Still, les affaires, you know. Sorry you're not going my way, but that's a handsome taxi you've drawn. What's its number, eh?' "'Haven't the faintest notion.' A British voice drawled in response. Never fret about a taxi's number until it has run over me. Great mistake, Bannon rejoined cheerfully. Always take the number before entering. Then, if anything happens... However, that's a good-looking chap at the wheel. Doesn't look as if he'd run you into any trouble. Oh, I fancy not, said the Englishman, bored. Well, you never can tell. The number's on the lamp. Make a note of it, and be on the safe side. Or, trust me, I never forget numbers. 
With this speech, Bannon ranged alongside Lanyard and looked him over, keenly malicious enjoyment gleaming in his evil old eyes. "'You are an honest-looking chap,' he observed with a mocking smile, but in a tone of the most inoffensive admiration. "'Honest and, uh, what shall I say? What's the word we're all using nowadays? Efficient. Honest and efficient-looking. Capable of better things, or I'm no judge. Forgive an old man's candor, my friend, and take good care of our British cousin here. He doesn't know his way around Paris very well.' Still, I feel confident he'll come to no harm in your company. Here's a franc for you. With matchless effrontery, he produced a coin from the pocket of his fur-lined coat. Unhesitatingly, permitting no expression to color his features, Lanyard extended his palm, received the money, dropped it into his own pocket, and carried two fingers to the visor of his cap. Merci, monsieur, he said evenly. Ah! "'That's the right spirit,' the deep voice jeered. "'Never be above your station, my man. "'Never hesitate to take a tip. "'Here, I'll give you another. "'Gratis. "'Get out of this business. "'You're too good for it. "'Don't ask me how I know. "'I can tell by your face. "'Hello. "'Why do you turn down the flag? "'You haven't started yet.' "'Conversation goes up on the clock,' "'Lanyard replied stolidly in French.' he turned and faced bannon squarely loosing a glance of venomous hatred into the other's eyes the longer i have to stop here listening to your senile monologue the more you'll have to pay what address please he added turning back to get a glimpse of his passenger hotel astoria the porter supplied very good the porter closed the door but remember my advice bannon counseled coolly stepping back and waving his hand to the man in the cab good night lanyard took his car smartly away from the curb wheeled round the corner into the boulevard des capuchins and toward the rue royale he had gone but a block when the window at his back was lowered and his fare observed pleasantly that you lanyard the adventurer hesitated an instant then, without looking round, responded, "'Wertheimer, eh?' "'Right-ho! The old man had me puzzled for a minute with his silly chaffing. Stupid of me, too, because he'd just been talking about you.' "'Had you, though? Rather. Hadn't you better take me where we can have a quiet little talk?' "'I'm not conscious of the necessity.' "'Oh, I say,' Wertheimer protested amiably. "'Don't be shirty, old top.' Give a chap a chance. Besides, I have a bit of news from Antwerp that I guarantee will interest you. Antwerp? Lanyard iterated, mystified. Antwerp, where the ships sail from, Wertheimer laughed. Not Amsterdam, where the diamonds flock together, as you may know. I don't follow you, I'm afraid. I shan't elucidate until we're under cover. All right. Where shall I take you? Any quiet café will do. You must know one. Thanks, no, said Lanyard dryly. If I must confabulate with gentlemen of your kidney, I prefer to keep it dark. Even dressed as I am, I might be recognized, you know. But it was evident that Wertheimer didn't mean to permit himself to be ruffled. Then will my modest diggings do? he suggested pleasantly. I've taken a suite in the Rue Vernet, just back of the Hotel Astoria where we can be as private as you please, 
if you've no objection. None whatever. Wertheimer gave him the number and replaced the window. His rooms in the Rue Vernet proved to be a small ground-floor apartment with private entrance to the street. Took the tip from you, he told Lanyard as he unlocked the door. I dare say you'd be glad to get back to that Ray de Chaussée of yours. Ripping place, that. By the way, judging from your apparently robust state of health, you haven't been trying to live at home of late. Indeed? Indeed, yes, monsieur. If I may presume to advise, I'd pull wide of the Rue Roger for a while, for as long, at least, as you remain in your present intractable temper. Dare say you're right, Lanyard assented carelessly, following, as Wertheimer turned up the lights, into a modest salon, costly furnished. You live here alone, I understand. Quite. Make yourself perfectly at ease. Nobody can hear us. And, the Englishman added with a laugh, do forget your pistol, Mr. Lanyard. I'm not Popino, nor is this Troyon's. Still, Lanyard countered, you've just been dining with Bannon. Wertheimer laughed easily. Had me there, he admitted, unabashed. I take it you know a bit more about the old man than you did a week ago. Perhaps. But sit down. Take that chair there, which commands both doors, if you don't trust me. Do you think I ought to? Hardly. Otherwise, I'd ask you to take my word that you're safe for the time being. As it is, I shan't be offended if you keep your gun handy and your sense of self-preservation running under forced draft. But you won't refuse to join me in a whiskey and soda? No, said Lanyard slowly. Not if you drink from the same bottle. Again, the Englishman laughed unaffectedly as he fetched a decanter, glasses, bottled soda, and a box of cigarettes, and placed them within Lanyard's reach. The adventurer eyed him narrowly, puzzled. He knew nothing of this man beyond his reputation, something unsavory enough, in all conscience, had seen him only once, and then from a distance, before that conference in the Rue Chaptal and now he was becoming sensitive to a personality uncommonly insinuating. Wertheimer was displaying all the poise of an Englishman of the better caste. More than anybody in the underworld that Lanyard had ever known, this blackmailer had an air of one acquainted with his own respect, and his nonchalance, the good nature with which he accepted Lanyard's pardonable distrust, his genial assumption of fellowship and a common footing attracted even as it intrigued. With the easy courtesy of a practiced host, he measured whiskey into Lanyard's glass till checked by a thank you, then helped himself generously and opened the soda. I'll not ask you to drink with me, he said with a twinkle, but chin-chin, and tilting his glass, half emptied it at a draft. Muttering formally, at a disadvantage and resenting it, Lanyard drank with less enthusiasm, if without misgivings. Wertheimer selected a cigarette and lighted it at leisure. Well, he laughed through a cloud of smoke, I think we're fairly on our way to an understanding, considering you told me to go to hell when last we met. His spirit was irresistible. In spite of himself, Lanyard returned the smile. I never knew a man to take it with better grace, he admitted, lighting his own cigarette. Why not? I liked it. You gave us precisely what we asked for. 
Then, Lanyard demanded gravely, if that's your viewpoint, if you're decent enough to see it that way, what the devil are you doing in that galley? Mischief makes strange bedfellows, you'll admit. And, if you think that a fair question, what are you doing here with me? Same excuse as before, trying to find out what your game is. Wertheimer eyed the ceiling with an intimate grin. My dear fellow, he protested, all you want to know is everything. More or less, Lanyard admitted gracelessly. One gathers that you mean to stop this side the channel for some time. How so? There's a settled personal atmosphere about this establishment. It doesn't look as if half your things were still in trunks. Oh, these digs. Yes, they are comfy. You don't miss London? Rather, but I shall appreciate it all the more when I go back. Then you can go back, if you like. Meaning your impression is, I made it too hot for me? Wertheimer interposed with a quizzical glance. I shan't tell you about that, but I'm hoping to be able to run home for an occasional weekend without vexing Scotland Yard. Why not come with me sometime? Lanyard shook his head. Come, the Englishman rallied him. Don't put on so much side. I'm not bad company. Why not be sociable, since we're bound to be thrown together, more or less, in the way of business? Oh, I think not. But, my dear chap, you can't keep this up. Playing taxiway man is hardly your shop. And, of course, you understand you won't be permitted to engage in any more profitable pursuit until you make terms with the powers that be, or leave Paris. Terms with Bannon, de Morbihan, Popineau, and yourself, eh? With the same. Mr. Wertheimer, Lanyard told him quietly, none of you will stop me if ever I make up my mind to take the field again. You haven't been thinking of quitting it. What? Wertheimer demanded innocently, opening his eyes wide. Perhaps. Ah, now I begin to see a light. So that's the reason you've come down to tooling a taxi. I wondered. But somehow, Mr. Lanyard, Wertheimer's eyes narrowed thoughtfully, I can hardly see you content with that line, even if this reform notion isn't simple swank. Well, what do you think? I think, the Englishman laughed, I think this conference doesn't get anywhere in particular. Our simple, trusting natures don't seem to fraternize as spontaneously as they might. We may as well cut the sparring and go down to business, don't you think? But before we do, I'd like your leave to offer one word of friendly advice. And that is? Where Bannon? Lanyard nodded. Thanks, he said simply. I say that in all sincerity, Wertheimer declared. God knows you're nothing to me, but at least you've played the game like a man, and I won't see you butchered to make an Apache holiday for want of warning. Bannon's as vindictive as that, you think? Hold you in the most poisonous regard, if you ask me. Perhaps you know why. I don't. Anyway, it was rotten luck that brought your car to the door tonight. He named you during dinner, and while apparently he doesn't know where to look for you, it is plain he's got no use for you, not, at least, until your attitude towards the organization changes. It hasn't, but I'm obliged. Sure you can't see your way to work with us? Absolutely. 
Mind you, I'll have to report to the old man. I've got to tell him your answer. I don't think I need to tell you what to tell him, said Lanyard with a grin. Still, it's worth thinking over. I know the old man's mind well enough to feel safe in offering you any inducement you can name, in reason, if you'll come to us. Ten thousand francs in your pocket before morning, if you like, and freedom to chuck this filthy job of yours. Please stop there, Lanyard interrupted hotly. I was beginning to like you, too. Why persist in reminding me you're intimate with the brute who had Roddy butchered in his sleep? Poor devil, Wertheimer said gently. That was a sickening business, I admit. But who told you? Never mind. It's true, isn't it? Yes, the Englishman admitted gravely. It's true. It lies at Bannon's door, when all said. Perhaps you won't believe me, but it's a fact I didn't know positively who was responsible till tonight. You don't really expect me to swallow that. You were hand in glove. Ah, but on probation only. When they voted Roddy out, I wasn't consulted. They kept me in the dark, mostly. I flatter myself, because I draw the line at murder. If I had known, this you won't believe, of course, Roddy would be alive today. I'd like to believe you, Lanyard admitted, but when you ask me to sign articles with that damned assassin... You can't play our game with clean hands, Wertheimer retorted. Lanyard found no answer to that. If you've said all you wish to, he suggested, rising, I can assure you my answer is final, and go about my business. What's your hurry? Sit down. There's more to say. Much more. As for instance, I had a fancy you might like to put a question or two. Lanyard shook his head. It was plain that Wertheimer designed to draw him out through his interest in Lucy Shannon. I haven't the slightest curiosity concerning your affairs, he observed. But you should have. I could tell you a great many interesting things that intimately affect your affairs, if I liked. You must understand that I shall hold the balance of power here from now on. Congratulations, Lanyard laughed derisively. No joke, my dear chap. I've been promoted over the heads of your friends, de Morbihan and Popinot, and shall henceforth be, as they say in America, the whole works. By what warrant? The illustrious Bannons. I've been appointed his lieutenant, Vice Greggs, deposed for bungling. Do you mean to tell me Bannon controls de Morbihan and Popinot? The Englishman smiled indulgently. If you didn't know it, he's commander-in-chief of our allied forces, presiding genius of the International Underworld Unlimited. Bosh, cried Lanyard contemptuously. Why talk to me as if I were a child, to be frightened by a bogey tale like that? Take it or leave it, the fact remains. I know if you don't. I confess I didn't till tonight, but I've learned some things that have opened my eyes. You see, we had a table in a quiet corner of the Café de la Paix, and since the old man's sailing for home before long, it was time for him to unbosom rather thoroughly to the man he leaves to represent him in London and Paris. I never suspected our power before he began to talk. Lanyard, watching the man closely, would have sworn he had never seen one more sober. He was indescribably perplexed by this ostensible candor mystified and mistrustful. And then there's this to be considered 
from your side, Wertheimer resumed with the most businesslike manner, you can work with us without being obliged to deal in any way with the old man or de Morbihan or Papineau. Bannon will never cross the Atlantic again, and you can do pretty much as you like, within reason, subject to my approval, that is. One of us is mad, Lanyard commented profoundly. One of us is blind to his best interests, Wertheimer amended with entire good humor. Perhaps, let it go at that. I'm not interested. Never did care for fairy tales. Don't go yet. There is still much to be said on both sides of the argument. Has there been one? Besides, I promised you news from Antwerp. To be sure, Lanyard said, and paused, his curiosity at length engaged. Wertheimer delved into the breast pocket of his dress coat and produced a blue telegraph form, handing it to the adventurer. Of even date, from Antwerp, it read, Underworld, Paris, Greg's arrested today, boarding steamer for America, after desperate struggle killed himself immediately afterward, poison, no confession, Q2. Underworld, Lanyard queried blankly. Our telegraph address, of course. Q2 is our chief factor in Antwerp. So, they got Greg's. Stupid oaf, Wertheimer observed. I've no sympathy for him. The whole affair was a blunder, from first to last. But you got Greg's out and burned Troyon's. Still, our friends at the prefecture weren't satisfied. Something must have roused their suspicions. You don't know what? There must have been a leak somewhere. If so, it would certainly have led the police to me, after all the pains you were at to saddle me with the crime. There's something more than simple treachery in this, Mr. Wertheimer. Perhaps you're right, said the other, thoughtfully. And it doesn't speak well for the discipline of your precious organization, granting, for the sake of the argument, the possibility of such nonsense. Well, well, have your own way about that. I don't insist, so long as you agree to join forces with me. Oh, it's with you alone now, is it? Not with that insane fiction, the International Underworld Unlimited? With me alone. I offer you a clear field. Go where you like. Do what you will. I wouldn't have the cheek to attempt to guide or influence you. Lanyard kept himself in hand with considerable difficulty. But you, he asked, where do you come in? Wertheimer lounged back in his chair and laughed quietly. Need you ask? Must I recall to you the foundations of my prosperity? You had the name of it glib enough on your tongue the other night in the Rue Chaptal. When you've done your work, you'll come to me and split the proceeds fairly, and as long as you do that, never a word will pass my lips. Blackmail! Oh, if you insist, odd how I dislike that word. Abruptly, the adventurer got to his feet. By God, he cried, I'd better get out of this before I do you an injury. The door slammed behind him on a room ringing with Wertheimer's unaffected laughter. End of chapter 19 Recording by William Tomko